How are we doing, venue? Somebody pushed a button here, Chad. It may have been me, and then it went away, and then it's back. All right. How are we doing, venue? Look, I really feel like 2020 is going to end well for you. I don't think it's going to end well for the devil. I feel like what's happening right now is that Pharaoh is pushing us up against the Red Sea, but he doesn't know that not only do we have a way of escape, we have a way of winning. That's a difference. Sometimes you're trying to escape, and God's like, no, 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 it's not about escaping. It's about beating the enemy. That's the best way of escape is winning that battle. Welcome to our, our sermon series, Simple, Simply Christmas. Uh, in a sermon today, I've called of Carpenters, Shepherds, and Saviors. Have, who's been on that men's call that we've been doing on Tuesday nights? And I'll tell you, when your men rise up, everything gets better for everybody. It's been a powerful time, I, I feel like. And, and the girls were all like, how come the men get all have all the fun? We're missing out on the fun. We want to have fun. We want our own group. And we're like, you want your own group, man? You got to do something. Yeah. We're doing something. I went out paintballing with a bunch of guys one time, and all the girls were like, how come we didn't get to go? Well, go paintballing if you want to go paintballing. Yeah. Get a bunch of girls to get. So they are. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, there's going to be a women's Zoom call. And Pastor Aaron is going to get interviewed, I think. And what, what they're going to be talking about is, hey, how do, we, how do we in 2020, in a lockdown, how do we live and thrive at home? Whether you're married, whether you got kids, whether you're by yourself, whether you got friends, whether you're working, whether you're not working, how do we end this year well? I think that's going to be good for you. Thank you, ladies, for putting that together and for not complaining about the men's group anymore. You ever felt like a bad parent? Who's got kids in the house that you're responsible for and feeding? I lost Katie in Ikea one time because Aaron made a huge error in judgment and put me in charge of the kids. Why would you do that? Have you ever met me? I didn't even know. I was so bad. I didn't even know that I lost her. And I heard code 99 in the kids. And I'm like, somebody lost a kid. And had a laugh to myself till I saw Katie coming flanked by Ikea staff. And I'm like, oh, it's me. Yeah, she belongs to me. One, two, three, yep. Lost one. I'm going to preach a sermon today. It's just going to be a simple sermon. It's going to be simple, but it's going to set you free. It's going to, we miss this, the, we miss the powerful because of its simplicity sometimes. I'm going to start the sermon with a time when Joseph and Mary misplaced the son of God. Can you imagine that conversation? They lost him, lost Jesus. Can you imagine that conversation? Mary's like, Joseph, I'm not telling God. You tell him. I'm not telling him. Hey, thanks for your son, but we lost him. You lost the son of God? Like the prince of heaven, you lost that one. We can always have another one. No, you can't. It's not the same. So they go to Jerusalem for the Passover and they go with, with Jesus and his family and his cousins. And how many, how many people are glad that their kids got church cousins? So they like took a church group and went to Passover in Jerusalem. And then they're coming back and they just thought that he was with somebody else in that group. And they come back and they don't discover till evening time. That's bad. It only took me like 10 minutes that I can. They didn't discover till evening time that Jesus was even missing. And they're like, I thought he was with... Oh my goodness. It says in Luke 2, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, everybody say three days. Three days Jesus was in the tomb. 
three days, Mary and Joseph are in the tomb. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Don't pass over that too quickly. I think people are looking for Jesus in a lot of different places, but I think you'll always find him in the temple. (laughs) Sitting among religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. Hold on, hold on. I thought Jesus knew everything. Not 12-year-old Jesus. You're going to have to take what, if you grew up in church, you're going to have to take what you think that you know and put it in a box, in the box of like, oh, this didn't actually happen that way. It happened this way. Just, just watch. The Holy Spirit's been showing me some things. He's been listening to them and asking questions. Why would Jesus listen to them and ask questions? Because he didn't know everything yet. And it says, though, that they all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. And finally, his mom just lost her Holy Spirit. And did what you do if you've ever lost a kid. She hugged him. She's like, I'm so glad that I found you. And then she's like, if you ever try to do that again, I'll kill you. Come on. Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Like, what were you thinking? And Jesus, you know, how do you give Jesus heck? And Mary did. He goes, but why did you need to search? Then you know that I must be in my father's house. Another translation says it a little better. It says, didn't you know I should be, I was going to be about my father's business. My father's business. Keep that in mind. My father's business. They didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother, who was still in her 20s at the time, stored all these things in her heart. He returned to Nazareth and was obedient to them. The scriptures say that Jesus learned obedience. Can you... Say learned obedience. He, Jesus, learned obedience. Now, he was without sin, but he still had things to learn. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Anybody suffering a bit? He learned obedience by the things he suffered, which means Mary's like, Jesus, do the dishes. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Gabriel, mom wants the dishes done. Chop, chop. Bring some help if you want, but I'm not doing dishes. I'm the son of God. I would fantasia the dishes. If they all broke, I would fantasia some more. But Jesus did the dishes when Mary asked him to. He allowed himself to be corrected this day. I I feel like what happened was in that moment, God the Father is like, yes, you will be about my business one day, but I need you to go home and learn Joseph's business. You'll see, you'll see. And then it says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. He grew. He wasn't there yet. Look, I know it's a lockdown at Christmas time and I have no idea what they're thinking. However, I know that you can grow because grow isn't this like, I grew because I ate too many pizza pockets. That's easy. No, this kind of grow, this word can be translated lengthened out by hammering as a smith forges metal. Anybody getting lengthened out by hammering as a smith hammers on metal right now? It says Jesus grew like that in wisdom and in stature and in maturity and in favor with God and men. The spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. He grew in his spiritual condition. 
Thanks, Sean. Man, he's all tucked away, all isolated back there, so he didn't yeah. give anybody the plague. Thanks, buddy. Great job, worship team, this morning, by the way. So why was Jesus born to a carpenter and a teenage mom? I've been, like, it's been in my head all week. It's been driving me crazy. If the salvation of the world on a large scale happened the way that you and I think that it does in like a mass conference or a mass concert, then see, salvation is available to the whole world, but there's something that we're missing. We don't understand the way that heaven does that because why would God not send Jesus and give him the biggest platform with the biggest king that there could be? If he wants to save the world, have you been up like in my mind? I'm like, Jesus loves, God loves people. He wants to save them all. But then he gives Jesus to Joseph the carpenter and Mary. I mean, and a carpenter, not an electrician. I mean, it would obviously have been an electrician back then if there was electricity. Wouldn't have been a plumber. Have you thought about plumbing back then? I think plumbers were like, yeah, my bucket's not working that I carry down to the river. Can you fix my, my bucket? A carpenter and a teenage mom. What? What is God thinking? It says in Matthew 13, it says, and Jesus starts his ministry. Then they scoffed. Now, don't let your heart get all bitter. Don't let your heart get hard. Don't get angry. But you don't want to be they at this Christmas. It says, then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. They scoffed when Jesus is speaking because all they could see was he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, people think they know you. We know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas, all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? Now, how many people know that God doesn't do anything by accident or by mistake? So he pre-planned, since the beginning of time, he planned to send Jesus and he had this plan all worked out. So there's something about this plan I'm not getting. Because I'm like, put him in a king's palace and save the world that way. I don't think that's... No, he wasn't just a carpenter, though. I want to tell you this morning, you're not just anything. I don't care what your dad said about you. You're not just anything. You don't have to be just anything. Jesus was never just a carpenter. No, the path was carpentry, but he became so much where you are right now. It might not be where you end, but don't despise where you are right now because Joseph had to take over his dad's business first. Don't try to escape where you are. God has you right there for a reason. You're just missing it because it's so simple and it's so hard. You just, you wish that it was, you wish a lockdown, you wish that, but here we are. I hope Joseph and Mary didn't waste their lives wishing they were in a different economic position than they were. I just wish that we could give Jesus some nice things, but this is what we got. This is all we've got. Why does God put kids in the homes of flawed people? Why does he put flawed people in the jobs that you have? Do you think you got that because you're talented? You got that because the angels of God were like, and here's his resume on top. And there's 40 people more qualified than you, but you got the job. Can I hear an amen? amen. You thought it was you. The angels are like, oh my goodness, no. You filled out the application in crayon. And you got the job. You think you got her because you're something special? You got her because God is something. Come on, ladies. What are you going to talk about on the call? That's a good place to start. Pastor was so funny. I love that one line about how special we are. Why does God give children in homes of flawed people? 
You know, you have some good moments and you put them on Instagram, but most of your other moments you don't put on Instagram. The moment that Katie came to me and she's like, she falls or something. She's like, yeah, my arm really hurts. And I did like the Coke man thing. And I just grabbed her arm and I'm like, feels okay. <laughs> Work it off, you know, or <laughs> three and then she kind of kept bringing this up. And I thought maybe she's just in her head about this thing. Right. And so three days later, she slides a note under my man cave door. I had a man cave before I moved to Airdrie and planted the church, everybody. And I don't have one now. You're welcome. I ain't got one now. I just bought a bunch of girls in the house. And so she, she, Katie, she slides her, the note under the man cave door and the note, I open it up and it says this. I can't quite remember it. Cause I, we got a picture of it somewhere. I just couldn't find it. She says this, please dad. Oh, please. Why don't you believe me when I tell you that my arm really hurts? Like, why can't I go to the hospital? Like every other child goes when their arms hurt and their dads love them. And that was the feeling I'm Aaron and I are reading this and we're like, Oh, do not call child services today. It's just a bad day. It's just a one-off day. It's not, we don't do this every day. Did I lose her in Ikea? Yes, I did. That was a different day. Yeah. Her arm was broken. She got a cast. Why does God put children in the homes of flawed parents? When, when Arwen was little, I used to watch Simpsons a lot and I'm like, she can't speak English, so it's probably okay, right? So I, I, so I would sit with Arwen and watch Simpsons and then I had a poster of Homer Simpson sitting in his undies on the couch in my half bath. But I'm like, she's little, she doesn't get it, right? So, and then I would also watch a show called Homes on Homes, which was a renovation show. And so when asked when she was little what her favorite show was, she said, Homes on Homer. And the last day I was allowed to watch Simpsons with Arwen. See, Arwen had a thing for her, her soother, which she called her Susie. And so she, everything was about her Susie, man. If you lost that Susie, man, it was the end of the world. And it was, here comes the scream fest, you know. And one day she's jumping up and down on her bed, screaming, where's my freaking Susie? And Aaron looks over. She doesn't give Arwen hex. She looks at me and says, you, you're not watching Simpsons anymore. And I'm like. Fair enough. We watched that movie Signs when she was a baby. Remember that movie Signs with M. Night Shyamalan, whatever his name was, with the aliens and stuff. And the aliens couldn't read their minds if they had like tin hats, right? These tin foil hats. And so by the time the movie was done, I'm sitting there with Arwen with a tiny tin foil hat on her head with a little point, and I'm wearing one too, so the aliens can't read our minds. Why does God put kids in the homes of flawed people? Why doesn't God directly teach everybody? Why doesn't he just come and do it? There's something that we're missing. There's something we're not understanding. There's something we're not appreciating about the way that he does it. I think that more is caught than is taught. How does your spirit transfer to somebody? Doesn't it take a thousand little touches? And, and words and glances from across the room and a thousand meals and, and a thousand pairs of socks and a thousand pieces of Lego on the stairs, <laughs> a thousand smirks from across the room with my daughter, Ailish. How is relationship built? How is faith spread? How is belief? How does it go from one generation to another? How does it go from friend to friend? Isn't it a thousand little things? Yeah. Ailish knows that I'm the funniest dad in the world. She thinks that honestly, I've heard her talk to herself about it in her own mind. 
And I'll say something ridiculously funny, and mom's not laughing. And I look over, and I catch Alish's eye, and she's like, she tells me with her eyes, you are the funniest man alive. I'm so glad that you're my father. Mom should be laughing, but she's not. A thousand stories of, of run-on stories for my daughter, Neela, who's like, Dad, I read this book, and then she basically reads me the book. And then this happened, and then there was something about a tiger, and then this also happened, and then this happened. Finally, I'm like, baby, I had four seconds in this window moving here to here. And I really got to go to the bathroom now, and this has taken 10 minutes. <laughs> and like, and Armin's like, you basically told him the whole story, Neela. And she's like, no, I didn't. And then she goes, but at the end of the book, and then she goes on <laughs> and tells me the end of it too. Why would, why would Jesus' father be a carpenter and not a king? Why would his mom be like a teenage mom? Why would God do it? Jesus would have apprenticed to his father, Joseph. That's how they, the world worked back then, you know? And so Joseph would have been there training Jesus in, in the shop. The first splinter Jesus ever had, Joseph would have been there, you know, when a four or five-year-old gets a splinter, a boy, and he's like not supposed to cry. <laughs> be brave. You guys don't have kids. <laughs> Joseph would have been like, no, it's okay. It's okay. This is what we do. It's okay. The first bruised knuckles, like, Jesus, hang on to it. Slip. You know, the, the first time he glued his fingers together. I don't know what they used for glue back then. Yeah. Like that, like, oh boy. Oh, we got a problem. You know, the first times you think that it was all glorious. It was not. It was anything but glorious. It was tiny little moments where you learn the the tricks of the trade, and you learn through the, the early mornings and the late nights, the first time Jesus would have made a chair all by himself and delivered it to some crazy customer lady who brings it back and complains about it when Jesus is like, Dad, there's nothing wrong with the chair, is there? And he's like, no, some ladies are just crazy customers. She just brought it, there's nothing wrong with it. She does not happy. Yeah. Like all these little tiny moments that you pass over in your life. What in your life are you passing over right now? You're waiting for a big moment. But God is like, hey, I have a lockdown for you right now. I got a thousand little moments for you right now. Don't pass over them. There's something important that needs to happen. If Jesus was not above learning simple obedience through bruised knuckles and early mornings and daily disappointments, neither are we. If he learned about heaven through the simple touch of simple flawed people, maybe we've been looking in the wrong places. You know, my mom taught me how to talk to my father and Mary would have done the same thing with Joseph. My mom, when I was in high school, said to me, son, don't go and you, you're so impatient. Just don't go and try to get everything from your dad right now. She said, he's project. He's a project guy. When he's in the middle of a project, don't interrupt him. What he's doing matters. You don't get to demand things of your father. Mary would have said to Jesus, like, you might be the son of God out there, but here you're Joseph's boy. Come on. How do you think Jesus interacted with his heavenly father so well? Because he learned how to interact with Joseph. He grew in his relationship in favor with God. He grew because he could grow here. And sometimes you want that direct thing with God and God does that sometimes. But more often than not, he sends it through the simple servants. And we learn it there and then we graduate. And then we, oh, then we. And she says, son, ask him. Hey, when you have a minute, can you come in and a half an hour later or an hour later or at the end of the day, dad will come over. Then he's, she's like, then you'll have all his attention. But this is how you talk to your father. 
boys do not demand things of their fathers. Fathers get to demand things of boys, but it's not the other way around. There was something deeper that needed to release the human race. And that deeper thing, the word of God says, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. If you're carrying a yoke or you have a chain in your life right now, it, the Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. What, what are we talking about here? The anointing that passes from father to son, from mother to daughter, from small group leader to small group, from team lead to from friends. It's the anointing of God. What does the anointing mean? Well, the anointing eventually had to come from Jesus' heavenly father, but first he needed Joseph's anointing so that he knew how to handle it so that he could handle all the power and glory right. But it started in a carpenter shop. Don't despise the simple hard things required of you. Don't despise the, uh, the splinters right now. Jesus didn't. One day the lessons you learn in the carpentry shop will save many from their sins, unless you despise the lesson. Don't despise the training ground. Don't despise the small aches and pains, the small disappointments. Don't despise them. They're there for a reason. Charles Spurgeon, um, the Prince of Preachers, he, he preaches this sermon in uh, 1886 about that scripture. He's just a carpenter's son. I, I feel like you're missing the just part. He, he's just the carpenter's son. I, don't miss. Don't, don't say, he, it's just this. It's just this that I'm doing today. I just got to make another meal. I just got to do another load of life. It's not just. There's not, not just anything. And don't you ever let anybody tell you it's just this. You're just that. No, 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 no. There's something more at play. It says, uh, Spurgeon says, when our Savior, I'm going to read you a couple minutes. When our Savior was upon this earth, there were some persons who, having their eyes divinely opened, that's what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Could see his true beauty and who admired his every action and said, he's done all things well. But there were others, I hope this isn't you, whose eyes were blinded by sin and malice and prejudice, who could see nothing good in him at all. Prejudice may seem very wise in its own esteem, but it is really very foolish. To be prejudiced against the truth because of the lowly origin of him who proclaims it is most manifest folly. Is a pearl to be rejected because it was found in a shell that is of itself of no value? I feel like that's God's word to you. There's something, you have a shell that a pearl is in and you're just not opening the shell because you just, you can't see the pearl. Even the occupation of a carpenter, even if it had been a degrading one, which it certainly was not yet, if his son had something to say... That is worth hearing. Is he not a fool who would not listen to it because it is uttered by the carpenter's son? If he speaks as no other man ever spoke, if his doctrine is more sublime than that of any other teacher, if the morality which he inculcates is more pure and more heavenly than that of any other leader of men, what matters it that he is the carpenter's son? But while prejudice is thus very foolish, it is also very frequent. There are many persons who put an extinguisher on the candle and then try to light it. For instance, in listening to a certain preacher... They may make up their mind that he cannot say anything that can be beneficial to them. And then they wonder that they are not edified. It would be a wonder if they were. Ooh, 1886, they could hear the truth a little better than we can. Thank you, Mr. Spurgeon. But what a dreadful thing, he says. It is that prejudice makes men even object to the gospel of Christ. They say that it is so simple, so commonplace, that it will not do for them. I've heard some who ought to know better say when they have heard the simple gospel preached, oh yes, believe and live is a very proper message to the multitude, but something more profound than that is needed for thinking men meeting themselves as if they were the only thoughtful people on the earth. Yeah. 
Well, sirs, if you are prejudiced against the gospel because of its simplicity, may God disarm that prejudice and bring you to see that it is its simplicity, which is its glory. And which makes it the means of rescuing sinners from the ruin into which their guilt has sunk them. He ends by saying, surely it is better to be saved by the carpenter's son than to be lost. Better to enter heaven through him who was despised and rejected of men than to be shut up in hell through not believing in him. Better to receive the crown of life from the hand of him who was crucified on Calvary. Than to receive the sentence of condemnation from the mouth of the judge when he sits upon the great white throne in all the glory of his father and of his holy angels. Luke chapter 2, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Do you ever feel like a shepherd? Everybody else is warm inside, and you're outside, and it's cold, and it doesn't smell right. You have little kids. They don't smell right, little kids. Come on, your marriage doesn't smell right. It's cold, it's lonely. You're with people, but they don't smell right. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger, which was a place that animals are fed. It's interesting that these shepherds would have no access to a palace. But how many people born in a palace would have given their lives to have been there on this night? And this angel comes down and he's like, God, are you sure about this? Because I feel like we should do like a concert or like a crusade or like order a bunch of speakers and like do this somewhere where there's a lot of people. And, and then, then the angel's like, right, but that's right, right. Listen, but adoption works one at a time. And big changes happen time over time. And disciples are made one at a time. Minute by minute, time over time. And Jesus himself only had 12 disciples because it takes time. It takes time. Men, we go to work, we can get a quick result, but we come home. And, and the, what we invest in our children, we don't see it for years. And we can go here and it feels good, but we come back here and we're not sure what's going on. And then we come back and our wives have changed again. We had it figured out. We had their favorite song all lined up and then we played and they get mad. What is wrong with you ladies? Be predictable. Help us out. Time over time. Adoption works person by person, time over time. That person that is, you cannot stand at work on your team. That person, you are there for that person, time, it will take time over time to get the gospel message to them. It will take time of faith and how do things get transferred to children? A thousand touches, a thousand glances, a thousand kindnesses. A thousand meals, a thousand forgivenesses, a thousand, I'm going to let go of bitterness. A thousand times. It takes a thousand of them. It says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and looking down and being like, where's the, right, this is how God does it. He puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. But if, if you want to eat the cookies, kings, you got to go to the bottom shelf. Ain't nobody coming into your room and feeding you eggs Benedict. You got to go out where the cookies are on the bottom shelf. Sometimes you got to go out to the fields. Yeah. Yeah. And these shepherds, they, they were doing, you know what? They just didn't think that they were special. They're just like, hey, we're just taking care of sheep. We're just taking care of somebody else's food. We're just, that's what they used to do with sheep. 
I'm not a farm kid, man. Don't show me. I just want it in a package. They're just like, hey, we're just taking care of our families. We're just being careful. We're just guarding our flocks. That's all we're doing. We're not. He was joined by a vast host of other angels. Glory to God in highest heaven and on peace. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. In the highest heaven to the lowest of lows. This is how God does it. And then he brings it up. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, found Mary and Joseph, a teenage mom, and a simple carpenter. And there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, these shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. Sometimes God sends you a shepherd and you won't believe them because they're just a shepherd. There's no such thing as just a shepherd when God sends them. They went back to their flocks. That's what I want you to do after this sermon. I want you to go back to your, I mean, if you're on preserving in the next service, stay. <laughs> Don't like it. Hey, pastor said to go home. Now go back to your flocks. They went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Here's what I want to say, venue church. The message of salvation that saved you and gives you eternal life and confidence and strength and hope right now, you have a well to draw from that your neighborhood doesn't have. Have you never considered that you are their shepherds? And sheep get panicky, and sheep get afraid, and sheep get angry, and sheep rant online, and sheep look out their, when my car goes to church, they look out their blinds and think I'm spreading COVID. (laughs) Sheep get confused, and they panic, and they run through fences, and they fall into pits, and they break their legs, and they, you are their shepherd. They have no other. You are the shepherd of your team at You might not be in charge of anything at work, but you are there because they have no other light. You are their shepherd. I want you to go back to the flock. They didn't stop that. They didn't move into the king's palace. They went back to their flocks and did what they did. But they took the Christ and the song of the angels with them back to the flock. They took that back to their homes. And then they just talked with their neighbors about it. You know, I'll never remember how much money my dad made. But I will remember just the simple faith and courage that he transferred to me. His anointing of calmness. How many people know that there's a reason that I'm calm in a pandemic? I'll I'll tell you why I'm calm in a pandemic. Because I have my father's, Richard's anointing. He's a simple man. He's not complicated. He passed simple courage and simple strength to me. And you know what? You can push him into a corner, but he's not going to quit. I remember when, when I was in Los Angeles, we lived in Pasadena and I had a bike and uh, we didn't have much. In fact, I think at one time I asked dad, I'm like, hey dad, can you get a real job so that I can have things that my other friends have? Right. <laughs> well, he didn't have much, but you know what? I, I don't remember what we didn't have anymore. I had a bad moment as a child. But you know what I do remember? I remember he got on my bike one time and tried to do a wheelie and flipped it over on himself and cut his arm all up. So he's bleeding and I'm like, it's the end of the world, you know. And he gets up. You know what he does? He laughs. He has a laugh. He's laughing. He's bleeding all over the place. He's laughing at himself. And I'm like, wow, my dad is tough. You know what my dad taught me? Get back up on the bike. Somebody sends you a crazy angry email. Throw it in the junk file. Don't read it get back up on the bike because the only one who can knock you off the bike is you. 
Does somebody else want to be miserable? You don't have to. And you tell me simple faith and simple courage and the things that I remember. He didn't think that there were big things and he was just living his life, but they lighted my path. What are you doing right now that's lighting somebody's path? You, you don't think it's a big deal because you're just trying to survive, but it's so much more than that. He, uh, one time I, I uh, tied his car up. I must have watched something and I, I was looking for rope. I tried to tie his car to the fence so that when he tried to go back, he'd be like, my car's not working. What's going on? You know, and get out and be like, ha ha ha, son, you are hilarious. But I tried it with binder twine because that's all I could find and tried to tie it four or five times. And dad just drove away. He just drove away and went snap, snap, snap and just dragged it with him. You know what? My dad's kind of like that too. When bitterness or anger tries to get a hold of him, he just drives out of the parking lot and just, he just drives out of the driveway and just drives down the street. You can come along if you want to because we're going to the house of God and we're going to go find some joy and we're going to forgive. And you can come with me if you want to, but this is where I'm going. Didn't seem like a big deal, but I remember, remember that rally that we had during the song Surrounded, what God showed me in Joshua and Jericho? I remember my dad preached that message in a little church in Pasadena and uh, it, he was just learning how to preach then. It probably wasn't a great sermon, but it was great to me as a boy. And I remember he walked across the stage and he said, are you on, are you on their team or are you on my team? And I remember him walking across that stage. And I remember the lesson I learned that day was like, God is not on your team or your team. God is on his own team. Get on God's team. And I remember that lesson today. I'm like, right, right, right. I remember the, here's where it gets hard though. You want to know why the pandemic has no power over me? Because when I was a child, I had severe asthma attacks and I would be up for hours at a time at night. And uh, I don't mean like the flu either. I mean, real nasty stuff, real bad. And I was afraid of dying. I had to beat the fear of death. But when you're like two and three and four and five, and this is happening to you, but also what was happening was I would have severe night terrors for hours at a time at night. Very, very demonic. I don't know if you've ever had experience with that, man. Like there's no medication that can get you past it. It is like the devil trying to stamp a kid. And while you can't breathe, while you think you're going to die. And my dad would just pick me up and carry me to the living room or wherever. And he would read Psalm chapter 91 over my life. And read it for as long as he needed to read it until I was free. He wasn't complicated. He didn't know what else to do. So he did what simple men of God do. He just read the word of God over me until it mattered more than what the devil was reading over me. Simple thing. He, 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 I would be so locked into this that I couldn't snap out of it. He would carry me and get into an ice cold shower to try to snap me out with him, me in his arms. Just a simple man. Just doing what he could do. What nobody else was going to do. A thousand little touches, a thousand little faithfulnesses, it all matters. He thought he was just living his life, but he wasn't. He didn't know that there were no unimportant moments. They were all important to me now. Every touch that you have with somebody, every Zoom call, every text, every interaction is a gift. Use it well. Bring hope with you. Bring joy with you. Put a smile on your face. Surely Joseph, of all people, 
like my father on those days, Joseph would have felt like having the son of God in his house. He goes, I can't fill his cup. I can't do this. But you know what Joseph had to learn to do and what I have to learn to do? What you, have to, you can't fill somebody's cup, but all you can do is empty yours. And then God will fill you up enough, enough so you have something to give. And then the next morning you wake up and you're like, I don't know what to do with this child. I don't know what to do with this job situation. I don't know. And God will just be like, hey, pour out into somebody's life. Just pour out what you have. Well, then there's not going to be enough for me. Just pour it out anyways. There will always be enough. God doesn't want his children begging bread. Jesus knew how to carry a cross because his dad taught him how. The cross wasn't the first piece of lumber that gave Jesus a splinter in his back. Who taught him that? It wasn't God, his heavenly father. It was Joseph, his flawed father. Hey, go get that piece of lumber. It was all rough cut back then. Go get that piece of lumber. Ah, my back, dad. It's okay. It's okay. The splinters on his back were not the first. Every splinter you bear today helps somebody bear their cross tomorrow. It shows them how to bear their cross tomorrow. You are the shepherd. You are the carpenter of your neighborhood. You put broken pieces back together. You care for their souls. Jesus had known for a long time, by the time he carried that cross, he had known for a long time that it takes splinters to make something beautiful. And carrying a cross is what good carpenters do. And carrying sheep and people are what good shepherds do.